is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. March 6, 2019, Ash Wednesday edition of the Tim Graham Show. What do we have here? Mike Rodak specified that he wanted to come oh, in with this song. What that is it? one, okay, this so is he, not my this song. is not his song. His, I figured we'd start with the new intro that this I sounds came like up Peace with. Frog, like The Doors. This is Five to One by The Doors. Remix, five to One. Remix to by Jay Z. Takeover is the song, and it's just a good beat. But Mike's intro will debut for hour two. Okay. So we can prepare everybody. I see. I feel all like right. we need subwoofers for this one. I know. <laughs> it's not five coming through on the AM dial at all. Believe me. I'm gonna lose my white trash card for not knowing the. Uh, uh, the proper Doors song. Yeah. Grew up on this stuff, man. I wish. What is Mike McDonald, men's basketball coach at Damon, what is his favorite Jay-Z remix song? <laughs> <laughs> Mike McDonald's in. He's heading into the East Coast Conference tournament on Saturday with the number one seeded team, Damon. 24 and 4, 16 and 2, winners of 13 of their past 14 games. Two other impressive numbers I'll throw at you. Ranked number 12 in the country, Division II Sports Information Directors Poll, 19 in the country in the National Association of Basketball Coaches Division II Poll. Six weeks in a row, Damon has been in both polls. <laughs> that is a pretty big deal, Mike. How's it feel? <laughs> it's uh, it, very good. Very good. It's been very surreal. I mean, we just keep keep going, and uh, we got a good group of guys. And to think that, uh, you know, four years ago we weren't even eligible for the NCAA tournament. We weren't even fully Division Two to be where we are now is pretty cool. Damon College. It's uh, And it's fun brand of basketball. And uh, one of my students, by the way, is your play-by-play guy? Oh, really? Okay, nice. Works with is we, Mike Morano. Mike, works with Mike yeah. Morano. He yeah. works with Mike Morano. Yeah. The professor Joe Kraus. <laughs> you get all kinds of experience right there. You have a student at Canisius as your play-by-play guy. Yes, he, he does. Uh, they do a really good job on the the live stream games. I mean, you would think it was a regular production when you watch it. Yeah, it is. It's impressive uh, what gets done here at the college, Mike. I mean, what are you? And I guess it's difficult to have some of these questions because we're talking about perspective, but you're heading into the tournament on Saturday and you don't know who you're going to play uh, because, well, that's the joy of being a number one seed. <laughs> Somebody else has to play uh, ahead of time uh, to, de- to determine the right to play you. And uh, Bridgeport, uh, Roberts Wesleyan, uh, game tonight. Where is that? At Where, Bridgeport. Is it at Bridgeport? Okay, yep. so, and then you go to Bridgeport on Saturday. You'll play the winner of that game. You could play Bridgeport. Welcome. Congratulations! You win the league, get to play the home team. <laughs> yeah. But how would you encapsulate the? Let's. I guess we have to stick with the regular season. You don't want to get too ahead of yourself or talk about how happy you are about things when you still have work to be done. Uh, but um, 
Where are you with this program, as you said? Because it wasn't that long ago that uh, you weren't full go. I'll tell you, Tim, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's, I look at it from last year. I remember being in here talking about how we got left out of the NCAA tournament. They take eight teams from the East region. We were number nine. And we were, you know, our bubble burst. We were that team that you see sitting on the couches, you know, at the coach's house and everybody in shock going, we didn't get in. And that was us at the Division II level. And from that moment on, we talked about always remembering that feeling. And our guys have uh, really done an unbelievable job. And to be at the point now where, honestly, we're in. And what we're playing for this weekend, we want to win a, a conference tournament championship. We've won a regular season championship. But we also might have the possibility to host the NCAA East Regional uh, because the way they do it is that they take the top eight teams in the East and the number one seed gets to host all eight teams, all eight, uh, the other seven teams, I guess you'd say, and have a quarterfinals, semifinals, and the finals with the right to go to the Elite Eight. At Division Two, the Elite Eight is kind of the big thing. You know, it's it's equivalent to the Final Four. And for us to be, you know, we're, we're going to be two. The release is going to come out pretty soon that we're two in the in the region again right now. But we're, it's a it's very close. And maybe if we can win two games this week, we can bump ahead of St. Anselm, who we beat already this year, and become the number one seed and be able to host the NCAA Regional, which would be, I don't know, unbelievable is probably the best way I could say it is for a team that wasn't even eligible for the NCAA tournament in 14-15 when I, we, we got there to be, you know, our fourth year and to be have a, have a chance to actually host surreal. It's a and word I keep using. Surreal. This is unlike the Mid-American Conference or the Metro Atlantic where you still have to get through your tournament to win. And the reason that we can talk with such confidence about this, uh, you're going into the NCAA tournament, is because of the system that it well, is. No, it, it's but also, you're in the poll. It's also because of where we are and what we've done with our non-conference schedule right. and conference. And Absolutely. We're like, I would, the equivalent, we're like, Michigan, Michigan State, we're one of those big-time teams yeah. who, hey, we're going to the Big Ten tournament, but if we don't win it, we still know we're going to the NCAA tournament. Right, and that's and the one thing I just wanted to explain is that when you take a look at these polls, it's Damon and St. Anselm are the only two teams in the East region that are even in the poll. Yep, that's right. And uh, you're in both of them, and 12 in one, 19 in the other. So you are safely in there. You've done enough work. Yep. And you've established a degree of dominance. So even if we were to lose on Saturday, knock on wood, it doesn't happen. There's wood in here somewhere, I think. But and you can end, only lose one game. It's not like game. you so have like, not, if you had two weeks left from, in the regular season and could lose four in a row heading right. into your tournament. That would and, be a different and story. We're not we're not going to drop from two to nine in the in the East Regional rankings. So we know that, and we're pretty confident we're in. Which, as I told my team, we we talked about this the other day. Again, the word I use a lot is surreal. It's because. I've been coaching. This is my 31st year of coaching. I was at Canisius. I was at Madai. It's here. And I said, every year, every place we've been, you go into the tournament knowing you have to win the tournament. We were at Madai. We were 23-2. and two, And we knew if we didn't win the semifinals and the finals of the conference tournament, we weren't going in. At Canisius, we won 21 games. We lost to Iona in the, I think it was HSBC Arena back in that day. Right? We lost in the arena in the MAC finals. And Darren Fenn who is a great kid, is bawling, crying his eyes out because we knew we weren't going. We couldn't go. We couldn't get in that large bed. We knew 21 wins didn't matter. 
And that's kind of been my whole coaching career. That's what I've been in. And for now to be the situation where you're like, eh, we win the conference tournament, we're in. You know, if we don't win it, we're still in. This is great. You know, it's Have totally you had to different. rewire your brain? Because, like you say, you've been doing and you're probably begin the season also thinking you're still geared toward winning a conference championship. So at what point during this season does it get to, all right, uh, we, I don't need to think about conference, like you say, how strange that is. And now you're, you want to make sure you're going into the NCAA tournament healthy. Now maybe, uh, will it change how you coach on not Saturday? Not at all. Not at all. We want to win. We want to win games. Right. We want to win, especially now because we think there's a chance we might be able to host. So we want to win two games, and we want to win something, do something that's never been done before at Damon, and win a tournament championship, and cut down the nets there. Um, that's kind of our goal. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, we know we got to fall back with the NCAA tournament, and it can help our seating. I mean, obviously, if we don't finish first, I'd like to finish second, you know, and in the end, you got to play somebody, and then we'd have to go to St. Anselm if we finish second. So we're okay. We're, you know, but not going to change our coaching with this group. This group has been tremendous all along. I mean, and they really, uh, you know, I get goosebumps just talking about how, how special they are. They don't care. We have a young man, Darius Garvin, who's from Elmira, New York, who has started basically for three years. This year on Halloween, hurt his hamstring was kind of in and out of the lineup, not played, didn't play in scrimmages. We come to our first game. We have our other starting guard, Jay Sarkis, hurts his hamstring. He comes out. Darius Garvin goes in, takes his spot, plays, and plays great. We win that game. The next day, one minute into the game, he's going for a layup, comes up, his hamstring's aggravated. He's out for a while. Long story short, he ends up coming. When he finally gets back and healthy, really around the beginning of January, we start bringing him off the bench. And hasn't complained, hasn't, you know, whined, hasn't broken apart the team at all. Senior captain who's been starting for three years accepted his role. I told him he's like Andre Iguodala with the Warriors, you know, a guy who was a starter and found another role and, and did that. But when he goes in and plays well, the guy who maybe he's taken out, Breon Harris, is the first guy celebrating. It's awesome to see these guys, you know, because you hear so much about the millennials and and kids these days and everything these guys don't care who scores they don't care you know they who who has a great game they just want to win and they're really into it and they really celebrate uh, we got a we got a warning from the referee the other day in our game against Bridgeport for uh, celebrating too much the bench wasn't standing up was standing up too much and sitting out and I told hey Get those all the time. I don't care about that. That's <laughs> fine. I'm not going to complain about that. And I, I tell the ref, you're too old and you're too used to watching NBA games where guys don't care. Right here, are guys who are into it, who are in college, who are excited, and you have to yell at them, sit down and give me a bench warning. Come on. Seatbelt rule. Seatbelt rule. Yeah, seatbelt rule. Reverse seatbelt rule in camp. Remember that, Jonah. <laughs> what? What do you say to? I mean, is that what you actually said to the guy? I mean, do the you? Ref? Yeah, yeah. They put that rule in. If you ever see, you watch games, you'll see the referees always moving his hand down, pushing right. him down, saying "sit down, sit down, sit down." They put that game in for the fans who, are, who bought expensive tickets at the Carrier Dome, and he can't see because the the guys are standing up. So they don't want the guys standing up all the time, or the assistant coaches. And I get it. But if you come to a game at Damon and you look behind our bench, you're going to see a wall. There's no fans sitting behind a bench. There's a wall back there. And at a lot of places you have that. There's nobody really sitting back there. So I get it. You know, they say, hey, they got to control the game. But in reality, they're not disturbing anybody's sight lines. 
let them let them have fun, let them enjoy themselves, and let them be excited because that's one of the cool things. I think it really started with the team in the MAC, Monmouth. Remember a few years ago when they were going that crazy, was surfing on the bench and stuff that, like I that. I didn't like that. And I, I think the Warriors do the same thing. I think the guys see guys in the NBA. You know, I saw the clip last night of Tennessee where the walk-on hit the three and guys are jumping on each other's back, and, and, and that's cool to see. You know, that's, cool. that's what you want, right? You want guys who are excited, who are part of it. Um, so I get ref- officials have a job to do, but in, in, I think at some point you got to say, let the kids be kids. Do you have a get-back coach? I've, I've, may, I've definitely have uh, anointed one of my assistants to be in charge, or two of my assistants be in charge of the get-back. Get them back. We're in conversation with Damon College men's basketball coach Mike McDonald heading into the East Coast Conference Tournament uh, with his top-seeded Wildcats uh, going up against the winner of tonight's game between Bridgeport and Roberts Wesleyan. And uh, that tournament uh, first game for Damon will be Saturday uh, in Bridgeport. Uh, do you care who you face and like you say uh, Bridgeport could win and that gives you a road game as the number one seed heading into the tournament because that game is at Bridgeport but would, do you want Roberts Wesleyan to win just no. you know, I, change I don't care no, I don't care you know what we, we we're going to talk about tonight when we have practice eight o'clock is that every team from here on out is good every team is good that we're going to play every team is going to be fighting for something and there's no team that has a bad record that's just kind of trying to stay alive or get to the end of the season. Now you're playing, everybody's going to be over 500, whether it's in the East Coast Conference Tournament or it's in the NCAA Tournament the week later. You're playing somebody and you're playing, with, you know, you got to play good teams. And that's a good thing. How do you practice at 8? The game will be going on, right? You won't know who your opponent will be. Yeah, we're not worried. right now we're worried about us. That's a classic, we're, we're not worried about who we play move right yeah, there, isn't it? we got to worry about us. Rather than waiting to practice yeah. until, say, 9.30 or 10. Like, hey, yeah. let's just push back practice a little bit. Then we'll know who we're playing. You're like, meh, screw it. we got to worry about us. Worry about like us. John Wooden. That was John Wooden's I don't think mantra. Yes. <laughs> well, he never, he never scouted any Listen, other teams. It was always Mike, I know you're a football guy, but anybody, nobody ever in Buffalo has ever compared me to John Wooden. Trust hey, me. Well, <laughs> I, I've been known to, to lather it on. That's what Bill's fans always say. <laughs> Don't ask him about unless Newt they were hoping he. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to tell Mike your Newt Rockman oh, story? Oh, I, I, well, well, were you in Notre Dame? You're at Notre Dame. No, no, that was no, before. No. Okay, we but were I sitting here was... in the studio. See, you you do botch enough of the details. I'll just go ahead and tell it because it'll be faster. We're True. sitting here in the st- in the studio one day, and I mentioned Newt Rockney, and we're sitting like we're sitting right now. Mike's at his laptop, and I'm talking about something. And then uh, before we go to the break, Mike turn <laughs> start. I could see Mike starting to laugh. And he turns his laptop to me, and he he was Googling Newt Rockney <laughs> to find out who it was, but he spelled it N-E-W-T, like Newt Gingrich. Hey. You know, like, who's this Newt Rockney? <laughs> Newt Gingrich is showing up. That was a good one, though. Well, yeah, it's before his time. Yes. Right. That would be like, Mike, that would be like you or me talking about Casey Stengel. We didn't know who that was growing up. Pitcher? He's a manager of the Yankees and the Mets. Come on, man. Jeez. There we go. I was saying that tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, Mike. That'd be like us growing up yeah. and not knowing who Vince Lombardi was. That yeah. that was us, right? Yeah. Wait. Or, uh, he went, he or went John to, Heisman. He went to Providence, though. That's right. The, the football team wasn't too good. I think it disbanded in 1941. Yeah. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to have more with Mike McDonald. He's going to be here for the full hour. We're going to talk about the entire local uh, college hoop scene. Tournament time coming up. It is March. Mike always has thoughts on what's going around because this isn't a guy, even though when it maybe comes to a scouting standpoint, he's more worried about his own team. But that's not to say he has tunnel vision when it comes to college basketball because this guy knows his stuff. 
Uh, we'll talk about what's going on with the different conference tournaments around uh, with his mentor, John Beeline, and, and Michigan. Uh, we'll have stories to tell. Joe Mahalik doing some great things. A lot of yes, local ties. Yes. This is, this is, and we'll think about this while we go to the break. That, can you think back, Mike, on a more appealing time for college basketball in Western New York than we're having right now? We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Take your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270-TheFan. Carrying me. Anywho. And how come I keep thinking about her in all these sexual scenarios and stuff? Bobby huh? <laughs> is jotting down yeah. a time of that. That's going to yep. end up in a bumper. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is The Tim Graham Show. made me cough it was like like when you see somebody yawn i was triggering that <laughs> subliminal that triggering. sound yeah that little sound effect of somebody coughing made me cough <laughs> this is the tim graham show on sports radio 1270 the fan that would make me tim graham i work for the athletic and i'm here in studio today with my co-host mike rodak of espn.com jonah bronstein from bronstein enterprises he's handling things on periscope you can see a video stream of the Tim Graham show all past Tim Graham shows there too we tweet that out Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs and here in studio Hi, with us Russ for the Brandon first hour is not available. oh Russ Brandon is not available <laughs> I had by I remembered I was going through my uh, my uh, sound files a couple of weeks ago and I found my um, the Russ Brandon dial by name when you uh, when he was working at New Era for about 24 hours and new era denied that he worked for him but if you called the new era directory and dialed do it can you play the whole thing Sorry. russ brandon is not available yeah well, <laughs> i guess not that was confirmation for me so mike uh, mcdonald damon wildcats men's basketball coach getting ready to head into the ecc tournament on saturday with the Number 12 slash number 19, depending on which Division II basketball poll you want to use, but they're top 20 in either one. Uh, they're heading into the tournament on Saturday where they're going to play in Bridgeport. They'll play the winner of tonight's game between Bridgeport and Roberts Wesleyan. And um, we were talking there during the break about what's going on uh, locally with college basketball, how much fun it has been. And although things are down in the Metro Atlantic with Canisius, uh, although Canisius is highly competitive in a in a down conference, but you know Niagara struggling and St. Bonaventure not doing. Uh, although they they they, they have been now. they have been, yeah. but I think it's been a quiet build. And while people are now paying attention to UB, it's almost as though people need to come back around to St. Bonaventure. Um, so I guess this is my rambling way of saying that maybe a, a, across the board with all four big four programs uh, have been more competitive last year when we we were looking at possibly having three teams get into the NCAA tournament last year they were all above winning records I think for the first time ever it was yeah it was fantastic but this year to me has been more compelling and with what's going on at UB and it's also factoring in what's going on at Damon 
what's going on at NCCC women's program, what's going on with the UB women, what's going on, all the different college programs here in town. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Mike, I mean, you're Western New York, worked here a long time, coached here a long time. What? Uh, how, how would you summarize this, this college basketball season in Western New York? I think the last couple of years, Tim, we've been in a good run with a lot of teams. And obviously it starts at the top. What UB is doing is very impressive, what they did last year. And I think what you're going to see coming up for the NCAA tournament, because I think they still got another kick in them, you know, a little level up and see what happens once they get who their draw is and where they're going to play. Um, but I think you see, you know, teams, and, and last year Niagara had a, some seniors, so they've taken a little bit of a step back. Bonnie's had some seniors who were very good, and they, they took a step back, but now they got their freshmen, their young guys are playing. They're really rolling. They're playing tonight, I believe, to get a top-four seed in the Atlantic 10 tournament, which is very impressive for, for the, how young their team is. They're going to be good. So, and, and I think Canisius has been kind of steady, uh, one of the better teams in the MAC. So I, I think you see it from those guys, and then it, it trickles down to other levels, and you see other teams having very good years the, the Hilbert women made the NCAA tournament. So, you know, that you'll see different levels. But I think basketball right now in Western New York is on the uptick. And I think at all all the levels, and I think whether it's men or women, you see people excited about college basketball, and that that's only going to help in the future. You mentioned St. Bonaventure there, Mike, and uh, started off the season so rough. I mean, just turbulent. Not able to find any kind of traction at all and, and written off right away. And now they're one of the hottest teams in the country when you just take a look at sheer you know, winning streak. Six in a row. Yeah, six, six straight. Mark Schmidt just, what, two weeks ago broke the program record for most wins. Um, and I know you're not with the program every day, but I, you pay attention. He's an alum. I, I know. Uh, how, how would you assess Mark Schmidt's coaching job this year to, to survive that rough start and to put together what he has as you're, as you're heading towards the tournament? I think uh, they have one of the best coaches in the country in Olean and Mark Schmidt. He's a really good coach, and I think they have to be real, realize how lucky they are to have him uh, and what he's done. And what he's done is, is rebuild on the fly which is tough to do at any level, and especially in Atlantic 10. Uh, he's taken a bunch of freshmen, and they were bad early on. They were injured. They didn't have the chemistry. And he's kind of got them to play the way he wants to play, and they have started to roll. And what's been good, if you notice, they, they were, they, I think they're, they're undefeated against the bottom six teams in the Atlantic 10, something like that, and they've, they're kind of you know, hit or miss against the top teams. But that's what you do as a young team, right, with a young team. If you can get them to win those games, you should win. And then stay above 500 with the teams the teams that are more veteran that are probably a little better than you right, right now. You know, that's a sign of building that program, that those guys, they stick together. They're going to be one of those top teams, you know, in the future. That's a, they, got a, they got a really good coach in Mark Schmidt, and they got to make sure they hold on to him. They got a really good freshman big man, too. Like that's been a yep. big part of their yeah. – I'm a little reluctant they, to try to pronounce his name. But. Well, I think they, they actually have all three levels because they have Dom Welsh, who's a wing from Western New York, from Chituaga, and they also have a very good freshman point guard. So they have three different guys who can play who are freshmen that they keep that core together. They'll be really good. And it's funny, you know, because, um, you know, there are Bonaventure fans who say, oh, you know, how are, we, how are we losing early in the year? How do we lose to Buffalo? And how we, and, and UB kind of had their way with them down there in Olean. And, and – it's gonna. It took time for Mark to get them going the way they want them to go, and now that they're going that way, 
you know, they're gonna they they can be really good these next few years with that group. They keep that core together and keep adding guys. You think they could be an NIT team with the record they have and the ratings they have? Uh, what is their record overall record? That's it's a good tough. question. Fifteen and fourteen. Yeah, see, the NIT has really become like the NCA, where you know, first of all, they have automatic bids where if you win mm-hmm. your conference and you don't win the tournament, you're automatically in. So like the school we were talking about, Hofstra. Mm-hmm. If Hofstra doesn't win the Colonial, they're going to automatically go to the NIT. So that takes one of the spots away. And then they do a lot based on the RPI. It's not as much in the old days. You know, the, the old guys in New York would look at uh, a Bonaventure team and say, oh, they got a lot of alumni down here. Let's get them in. Maybe they make a run and they get to the garden. You know, now it's more very clear-cut, black and white. These are the guys who are going in, and this is how we take them. And then they seed those people based on who they have in. I thought you had a question. I like did, but he answered it. I see. How about that? This That's is like cl- good. classic good, right? uh, college classroom stuff. Yeah. Did you have a question back there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got it, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to participate, uh, <laughs> Mr. Graham. Yeah, you yeah. took my question. No, I'm, we're good. <laughs> Except he's awake, unlike most of your students, right? Well, we have in my class, it's a lab class because it's a media deal. And so they have these huge Mac screens. They could be doing oh. and are doing <laughs> anything back there. <laughs> So, yeah, I've had kids that, that have slept. I, I had to fail a kid one time because he showed up every week and just slept. And uh, and when I failed him, usually, and I thought, all right, here it is. You know, somebody's going to complain. I'm going to hear from him. Maybe I'll even hear from his parents. I don't know what. He signed up. Next class came around. He was in it again. He stayed awake he, he knew, this time? He did. He was a little more engaged <laughs> this time. I uh, skipped the entire month of April in one of my college classes. It was New Testament I theology. I have dreams about that all the time, right? I, I do too. Going to, I having, still do. Taking an exam and right. uh, it's it's finals week and I haven't attended the class. You actually lived it. I, I got an A in the class and I skipped the entire month of April. Well, but it was. That's a lesson. So that makes you, everybody who pays for I, that Providence education that, that, feel that, really good education. right now. I, I had classes I where I skipped department there. every class except the first one, the midterm, and the final. <laughs> but it was kind of known that you could pull that off in these classes. That's that's why I signed up for right. it. Right. Well, that was my second consecutive class with that professor. And all he did was just watch YouTube videos and talk about his cat. And we might talk about New Testament theology for five minutes. So I decided not to show up in April. and. I got an A. Executive decision. Which which book of the Testament was the cat named after? Uh, it's a good question. He wasn't really like into theology. He was like a gu- guitarist or something. He was actually in the background of um, Kings of Rock by what's the rap band in the eighties, early nineties? Run DMC. Run DMC. Yeah, he's in the background of that music video playing the guitar, and that's like his claim to fame. He. Kept sh- I think he showed it in each of my classes I took with him, that video, and pointed himself out. Mike, that was actually an Old Testament cat, Job, yeah. and he had the mange. <laughs> we should get this fellow on the show. Go Friars. He's, <laughs> he's a strange fellow. But, yeah, that's, that's Providence College for you. All right, back to basketball. Metro Atlantic, Mike. Uh, it's been inter- – no, no, go ahead. Yeah, put that back there. It, a, lot, a lot of Catholic schools in the Metro Atlantic. Uh Go ahead and put some put the monks back there. Let's talk about what's going on at the. I gotta go in my ashes after this. I'm gonna have to stay for a while. Canisius <laughs> and Niagara, ashes. both Catholic uh, colleges. Uh, anyways, um, Metro Atlantic. It, everybody's eight and seven practically. Uh, what what's what do you make of of this? Is it uh, clearly it's a. <laughs> 
it's a one bid conference. It, it it never has been anything but. But it even seems down this year, even by Metro Atlantic standards. It, it is, and sometimes it's just a perfect storm. That's what happens, and teams kind of beat each other up, and nobody is separated. I mean, Iona won the regular season, and they're below five hundred overall. So that's you know that's that's kind of a telling sign right there, and that's a a sign that you're probably your conference tournament winner is going to be heading to Dayton. For the uh, for the first four, for sure. You know, I would think that's going to be a 16 seed. It's got to be, but um, you know, you say you know they're one bid league as usual, and they are most of the time, and I and always will be. Listen, when I was in that league, we were, you know, I was there for a long time, and as a coach, as assistant, as a head coach, and there was one time when I I was in it, and I think I was there for 17 years as a coach, where we had two bids, and it was 95, where. Manhattan with Fran Fischella coaching got an at-large bid. Actually won a game in the tournament, beat Oklahoma. Um, and we were always, after that, always chasing that two-bid, that second bid. And what they want to do is try and have a schedule-up policy, and teams are going to try and play, you know, not play everybody, and that's what they do now. They don't, You don't have a round-robin schedule. You're kind of they try and get it so the rivals play each other, and then you the better teams play each other to help their RPIs, and you have to schedule out of conference, and sometimes you schedule out of conference, and you have a young team, and I'm living proof of this. And you you end up losing those out of conference games because you're scheduling up to try and help the good of the league, and you lose, and then it's tough to get your team's confidence back. Your team tough to get your team going, and you know certain teams we used to argue as coaches, and this was Joe Mahalik was there, and Fran McCaffrey was at Iowa, or Paul Ewitt who who was at Siena at the time, and you know we we'd be saying, hey. You know, let the teams that know they're going to be good schedule up, and the teams that aren't, let them kind of schedule the teams they can beat to get wins. But you know, it was it was difficult, and it ended up being uh, it, it didn't happen very often. I think there's been one other time where uh, a team got an at-large bid. Iona, probably in the last five years, got an at-large bid and played in the first four against uh, BYU as a 12 seed. With Canisius, uh, I don't know how close attention you paid to them, but. Why do you think they're they're five and eight at home? Uh, looking at it, nine and eight in road neutral games. Ken Palm, the, the way they do some different things, has them as the worst home court advantage in the country. Having coached there, familiar with that gym and, and the situation, why do you think they're playing so much better away from Western New York? You, you know what? Probably because you're talking about it, <laughs> right? No, I'm serious. That people probably bring it up to them in the press conference when they lose at home. Why did well, we you? Do. Yeah. Why did you? Lose? Yeah, and now then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Like, oh man, we're at home. So all of a sudden, if they get down four. Now it's down. They're down. It's like they're down 44, and they're like, "Oh my God, we're losing again at home and everything." You know, listen. There are some very passionate fans at Canisius. We all know, um, but you know, and and there are there there are, and yeah. the, and the the the, <laughs> the object is to try and get the students out. That's always. The, oh, I see what you're saying. The, okay. Well, there are. All right. See, when you say passionate fans, that's like they will be there no matter what. As opposed to when I think of passionate fans, I'm like. Rowdy and yeah, energetic. There are people who are passionate, who care about it. Who are right. Be there, there are people who are. They there. might be a little bit older. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's, me, that's what I was thinking. And, of. <laughs> uh, all of us in this room combined, right? <laughs> but but they they are very passionate and they care about the program, incredible, incredible amounts. And so I think you know, again, I I don't think it has anything to do with hey the sight lines of the Kessler Center or they're not drawing students. Or, you know, sometimes too you have to look at with teams. They get this. They're not their conference schedule comes out, and you might not. You they might have 
there might be hockey games on the same day, or they might be on spring break when they have a three-game homestand or winter break during a homestand when you have three games. And, and that can kind of kill your momentum because all of a sudden you're used to playing. There's nobody there because the students are away. And you can't expect people to be there. You know, and that, and that that's just kind of luck of the draw. So it just happened. I don't think it's a big deal. But I think the good news for them is where's the conference tournament? Well, that's what Kyle Molson said. Good thing the MAC tournament isn't at home. And, Do you, you know, think that plays in their favor? In Albany? I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it will depend on who they draw in the first round and who they're going to play and uh, how they match up with them. Um, but, yeah, probably, I think right now at this point, because you're talking about people are talking about it, that for them to go away, it's probably like, yeah, we can take a deep breath, we can get out of here, and we can go play. There are six teams in the Metro Atlantic that have winning conference records. And, of course, Iona 12-6, and six, but with a 14-15 and 15 overall record. You alluded to that earlier, yeah. Mike. But let me just give you the rundown. Canisius for the record, 11-7. and seven. Um, Which is tied, excellent. Tied in, yeah, and um, Niagara is at the bottom at 6-12, and 12, just for the record for the locals who are listening. But let me give you the overall records of the six teams that have winning conference records. 14-15, and 14-16, and 16-13, and 16-14, and 16-15, and 11-20. So those are teams that just get crushed outside of the conference. Yeah, and and it, uh, maybe it makes them better for conference play, but when you take a look at 12-6 and six or 11-7, and seven, that's five of the teams. Those are the conference records, 12-6 and six or 11-7. and seven. Um, That's not exactly dominant play. I mean, they're just eating each other up. Niagara yeah. was the only team to have a winning record out of conference, and they're in last place in the conference. And they probably had the best <laughs> win, right? They beat an ACC yeah, right. team. Pitt. They beat Pitt at Pitt. You know? and, and so, it listen – it's an inexact science, and when you're at the level they are, and I spent a lot, a lot of my life, at that, a good chunk of my life there, you're at that level, you're trying to survive as best you can. And it, it's tough. And if you go out of conference and you're scheduling up and you have a young team and you get beat a couple times, you know, you're getting into the conference. I'm sure Iona got in the conference and said, whew, now we, we're kind of playing teams at our level because Iona had a situation where they had to throw off their leading returning scorer at the beginning of the year. And now all of a sudden you're making that adjustment, and you know the depth isn't isn't as good. You know at that level you don't have, you know uh, you can't plug in another All American guy that they have like a Kansas would if they take. Right. You know Kansas has a guy get hurt. Next thing you know the guy who's coming out in was an All American. You know seven in a row for Iona. And uh, before we hit the break here, let's uh, I want to. Uh, ask what the assessment is uh, from anybody who has an opinion on it. So the Mid-American Conference is the conference I've followed pretty much my entire life. You know, Growing up, I was not a Big Ten kid growing up in Ohio because the people I went to school with when they went on to college, it was to Kent State, to Akron, to Bowling Green. Those were the athletes that I would play against and um, were in my family and stuff. So um, I've always been a little disappointed, and, and there's an there, exception here or there, but when a really good team comes out of the Mid-American Conference, I never, I never think that they get seeded as highly as they should, and, or at least usually not. So UB has been in the top 25 standings all year, and we're talking about making a deep run. We have all season that this is a dangerous team. They can make a deep run. They're, they're, going, to be da- they're going to be able to upset. But what type of seeding can we expect for UB right now? And I know that there are the different um, uh, analytics that, you know, will tell you what the numbers say. But the conferences and, and reputation of conferences, and there's still stigmas, I think, to overcome. Because uh, we always see when the, the brackets come out, some head scratchers. Uh, maybe not as much as we used to because the numbers are a little more transparent. But I guess where do we, 
Where do we think UB ends up from a seeding standpoint? What have they earned? Well, it, I think it depends if they win out and win the tournament or sure. if they take another loss because sure. they'll probably drop a line with a loss. And if they win out, you're talking about a team that will have 31 wins and on a 12-game winning streak. And I think they have a really good shot at a five seed and probably deserve a four seed in that case. But to your point, I think they're going to be seated one line lower than where they deserve because they're a mid-American team. Although this is one of the strongest years for the conference in a long time. And, and I think, too, that they say it doesn't factor in, but their name from what they did last year, you know, beating Arizona, mm-hmm. taking Kentucky to the wire, basically, you know, giving Kentucky a game. They, you know, they people know about them and they know they're pretty good. Uh, I think some of the stats, I don't know. I haven't looked closely. I've been too engrossed in the Division Two stuff to worry about the Division One RPI. Too busy winning games. But uh, well, that's a good thing, though. That's a good reason, right? Um, the uh, um, 13 of the past 14, just a reminder. Yeah, that's not as good as what you say UB would be on a 13-game winning streak. If, if they win it out, uh, but they're only on an eight-game winning streak yeah, right okay. now. But it's all good. Anything, any winning streak is good for a coach, trust me. But I, w- I would say a five, right? I don't know where their RPI is. Five or six is probably good. And, and I think, you know, that's not bad because if you're five and you win the first the 5-12 game, then you're playing a four and uh, to get to the Sweet 16. That's a lot better than where they had to play – Kentucky last year after winning the game, you know, I think they have a, I think they have a, a really good shot if they get there. I think some of their stats are, you know, they have the most, I think I read this right, the most true home uh, road wins mm-hmm. in the country. And to me, as a coach, that strikes me. And if you got people on that committee who used to coach, they got to look at that and say, look, here's a team. They went to Syracuse and won, went to West Virginia and won. But not only that, they went to Ohio and won, went to Kent State and won, went to, you know, when you're playing those teams in that in your league. Every game, every game is a big game. You're getting their best shot. You know, those teams know. And, and, and to get up and win. And if they lose a game in Northern Illinois, yeah, all right, it's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think what they've done is so impressive. And I think you're totally right, Tim. They should be a five. You know, I don't know if they can get to a four, but a five or, or six. And that, that'll, get, that'll set them up to make a run. I mean, just my, again, my cynicism with the Mid-American Conference, I think anything over a seven, I will be somewhat surprised because it just it won't feel right. They'll, be, they'll be very disappointed with a seven. Seven, I yeah, think, would be They do not want to be on that seven-eight line and right. have to potentially play a, a one, one or two, 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 two in the second round. So UB, 11 road wins. Um, this is as of March 4th, so I don't know if this obviously doesn't count the Ohio win. So that puts them tied with UC Irvine, Belmont, and then there's a few teams with 11, Furman, Lipscomb. But, I mean, UB's right up there in terms of road wins. In terms of net ranking, which the, the NFL, the NCAA is using sort of replace the RPI, I guess. They're 15th yeah. in the country right now. Although it hasn't – I don't know why they do this. It hasn't updated today. Right. And they could drop a spot or two from last night's yeah, win, yeah. but not a power rating boosting yep. type of performance. So that's based on March 4th, which would have been Monday. But Which is kind of crazy, right? It is kind of crazy. They can win on the road against a team that you knew was going to be loaded for bear for them because they had beaten them really bad here, right? And it's not a bad team, right? It's not a terrible no, team. But it's scoring margin. They're ranked as high as they are in these systems because they've been beating everybody by 20, 30 so points. So the youth so. levels, we should make sure we don't run up the score, well, right? When yeah. Tim's coaching AYB, he's got to be careful not to run up the score. But when I, you're – I wish I don't that run was up the score an issue with our son's teams this uh, year. Yeah, but when you get to the – at college level, you should run up the score to help your net rating. This year, I mean, I think they might change that system a little bit next year, but this year you absolutely play all 40 minutes and try to win by as many points as you can, especially if you're a team like UB. 
So right now the projection from Howie Schwab at Fox Sports is UB as a five seed hosting 12 seed New Mexico State, in which case they would play Virginia Tech as a four seed great in match. the second round. That's a great, that would be a good run for them. That's mm-hmm. a, I think that's the best you can expect. But that, those are, you know, that's what you're going to have to, yeah, when you get to that second round, you're going to have to beat a mid-level ACC, a mid-level Big Ten, a mid-level mm-hmm. SEC team, and, and, and see what happens. And, yep. uh, you, know, uh, you know, New Mexico State's not a bad team either. And that's, you know, the worry for me would be, like, you know, it's, they could play like a Utah State or somebody mm-hmm. like that that's good, but people don't know they're good. And people right. around here will be start saying, hey, we're going the second round already. Who we got next? Right. And they got to lock in and play. You, you know? know who's on a great roll, and uh, we don't hear about it nearly enough? Nate Butel and the NCCC women's basketball team, 31-0, and heading into the uh, junior college tournament. Uh, they just won the school's first regional championship on Sunday. Uh, we're going to have Nate on the horn here, your old pal. Part of the tree. All Part of, of our, the coaching tree. That's right. Our old pal, the friend of the show. Uh, we're going to talk to Nate. We're going to get in, uh, get his thoughts on things when we come back here on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. In 30 seconds. Sports Radio 1270. The Tim Graham Show. The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270. The Fan here in studio with Damon Wildcats men's basketball coach Mike McDonald here for the rest of the hour. Along with uh, co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati producing things. And... uh, Mike McDonald getting ready to take his number one seeded Wildcats into the East Coast Conference Tournament where uh, the Wildcats will face the winner of tonight's game between Bridgeport and Roberts Wesley. And that game's going to be on, uh, well, that game's tonight, but uh, the winner uh, will meet the Wildcats on Saturday. And another local coach who is on fire, can't be any hotter, scalding hot, heading into his next tournament. Nate Butel of NCCC, 31-0 after winning uh, the, the region title for the first time in school history, heading into the Junior College National Tournament. Nate Butel, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me again. I don't know if you consider him a mentor or what, but I think it was 2009-2010 at Madai, Mike McDonald's the head coach, and Mike, Nate was your, what was it, JV he coach? He was our JV coach. He had just graduated from college. He graduated from Madai and uh, told me, we talked, I had him as a student in class, and he said he wanted to get in, he thought he might want to get into coaching, and our JV job opened up, and I said, why don't you take the JV job? And he did a tremendous job with him. Um, and in two years he was there, and then he ended up getting the Grand Island job, right, Nate? Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and you, you mentioned, uh, you know, Coach McDonald is by far my, my biggest mentor in the coaching world, and, you know, I, I tell people this all the time, I, I wouldn't be getting the jobs that I, I was able to get uh, at the time that I did with being so young if it weren't for, for his guidance and, uh, you know, his, his recommendations as well. Because that goes a long way in the Western New York community. Uh, there's not many people that are more well-respected than Coach Mack. 
And we talked about it when you were on the show last time, Nate. Uh, not a lot of mention other than just the fact that it happened, that you were the varsity coach at Grand Island. Uh, real no, I don't see much mention of your record, uh, how, how well you did. But how about this? Yeah, yeah we, kept, we conveniently kept that That's out of fine. there. Uh, That's I, fine. I happen to know the SID. That's like when the Bills uh, uh, just deleted that Russ Brandon had ever been the general manager. You know, things just, <laughs> if they're not in the media guide, it never happened. And that's fine. Uh, so, but how about this? First year at NCCC, 13 and 15. All right. Well, that's to be expected. You're becoming a college coach for the first time. Uh, but since then, since his first season at NCCC, Nate Butel's teams have gone 151 and 35. For an eight twelve winning percentage, and uh, Mike McDonald, uh, w- I guess this is a philosophical question about how hard it is to win because we're talking about women's basketball. Uh, it is junior college, but winning at any level, I don't care what it is, to do it to win eighty one percent of the time is dominance. Well, think about this, Tim. Ask him what the record at NCCC was before he took over, before that thirteen and fifteen year. What was it, Nate? Uh, one in twenty-five, and that's that's why that thirteen and fifteen year was so special. That that actually built the foundation, believe it or not. So you look back on that number, and I think you know people without that context would say, "Well, that was a disappointing," or like I do. I mean, I, I didn't know the 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 deep history at NCCC except from where where we're having a a beer or wings over at Elmo's. But it's uh, but to go from you're right, thirteen and fifteen. I'm sure you look at that with as much pride as you do your twenty-eight and four season and. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe thirty-one and zero is, you know, they're all in the same, all in the same sentence. Yeah, w- without a doubt. I mean, that that first year. I mean, I, I can still remember, you know, game details and certainly all my players from that year. And um, believe it or not, at that point, thirteen wins was the most that our program had ever won in a single year. So, you know, that certainly was you know, the, the base of what we've done over the last seven years. That's contract uh, for life year, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, this year, I mean, it's just been spectacular. I, I can't say enough at how special the group is that I have. And, you know, the, the way that they just have continued to grind. I mean, this is this is a six-month grind now. And to, to have a zero in the, the L column at this point is, is something that you – you obviously don't see very often and something that I think is motivating our, our group at this point. That Division II National Tournament is going to take place March 19th through 23rd in Harrison, Arkansas. Uh, how do you prepare for something like this, Nate? Uh, you're, you're coming out, you're 31-0, everybody sees that record, uh, you know, the classic target on your back. Uh, what, are you, uh, what are you coaching up to your, to your team? Yeah, so for the next two weeks, I mean, the first week here we're going to focus a lot on ourselves. Um, you know, getting ourselves right, you know, make sure we're Mike we're McDonald we're was prepared. talking about that during the first segment. This is coming around full circle. It's it's cut right out of the Mike McDonald textbook. The John Wooden textbook. Yeah, I, I, it's a very I, small I must, book. I must have heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but the first week we're going to prepare, uh, prepare ourselves, and then week two we're going to focus uh, more on our opponents and, you know, what's to come in Arkansas. Um, you know, at this point we only have two teams ourselves and, a uh, team out of Kansas qualified, so um, you know it's the perfect time to to get ourselves you know right here the next week or so. Well, what do you got going on the next couple of days? Your focus is a little different through the weekend, right? 
yeah, I'm, I'm catching a flight at 5 a.m. with my softball team at NCCC to uh, head down to Florida for spring training. I'll be down there a few days, leave, uh, leave the basketball team in the trusty hands of my assistant, Vince Kazmierczak, and uh, then we'll be back next week to, to go full tilt before we head for Arkansas. And this is life at uh, the community college level because uh, it's not as though you just do one thing. It's, it's all hands on deck. So let me just read the first line, or at least the first part of the first line of Nate Butel's bio on NCCC's website. Butel, NCCC's Sports Information Director, Scheduling Coordinator, and Head Softball Coach, is entering his seventh season in charge of the women's basketball program. So he's doing all that and going 31-0. Yep. That's small college life as we know it. What else do you do over yeah. at, at Damon, Mike? I'm Nothing? I'm a uh, Senior Associate Athletic Director in charge of outdoor uh, or, uh, partnerships. Um, we do a lot of the fundraising. Oh, okay. So heavy duty. That's that's. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm in charge. That's more important than basketball. <laughs> yeah. At the college <laughs> yeah. level. Yep. You have to well, maybe it isn't. All of our all of our corporate sponsors, our partnerships, things like that. So, do you find that uh, raising money is easier when your basketball team is going to the national tournament? It gives you something to talk about. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and away in the door. All right. So, any uh, any advice you want to give each other, uh, Mike McDonald and Nate Butel, as you head into your big tournament? Nate doesn't need advice from me. He's got it perfect. Just keep winning. <laughs> the coach Mac's been saying that for years. Anytime we talk about anything, it usually ends with just keep winning games, Nate. It'll all turn out right mm. in the end. That's pretty good advice. <laughs> just keep winning. <laughs> just win, it. baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ne- never lost, right, Jonah? <laughs> Undefeated. <laughs> never no lost undefeated. community college. Never lost. <laughs> Well, Nate, thanks for joining us on here. Good luck uh, here in a couple of weeks, and uh, well, not even in a couple of weeks. Good luck on this softball trip. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how you get your brain around softball and, and get away from basketball, and then jump right back into it. It's, uh, I guess, the most important part of your program's history. He's going to lose a softball game yeah. before he loses a basketball game this season. Uh, Ooh, that's a pretty. I mean, I think, that that's a hell of a trivia question, right? Or a, or a, a bit of a, it's a bet. A statistical uh, quirk. Yeah, yeah. We, hey, where are you going, going in Florida? Florida. Uh, we go to Claremont near the National Training Center. We, we've been doing this a couple of years, and our records haven't been so hot down there, but it gets us better for regional play. What, what's, so. the, what's the weather like down there? How warm is it? Uh, today it was a little cooler, but this weekend, 85 to 88. 85 to 88. It's like 15 here, right? Who's the smartest guy, yeah. basketball coach in the country, huh? <laughs> right there. <laughs> Nate Butel, head coach of the undefeated 31-0 NCCC women's basketball team. Thanks for coming on, Nate. Uh, Mike McDonald also. Thank, oh, all right, I'll see you soon, Nate. Take care and have safe travels. And uh, big thanks to Mike McDonald, Damon's men's basketball coach, as they get ready to head into their conference tournament and preparing mentally resting up for the NCAA tournament. What a feeling, huh? Like well, like we said at the beginning of the show, to have spent your entire life coaching for the tournament championship because it's that or else, to now heading into a tournament knowing that uh, you're going to be playing for the whole thing. That's how the other half lives. <laughs> We're experiencing it, so that's okay. It's a good thing. We just want to keep winning. Thanks for coming in the studio, Mike. Thank you, Tim. It was a pleasure. All right, when we come back, we're going to have – all right, now this sounds like, boy, Tim, he's talking to the Division II men's basketball coach, the junior college women's basketball coach. 
a quarterback from Central Connecticut State. And you're going to think, well, geez, boy, what a day to tune into the Tim Graham Show. But this Central Connecticut State quarterback is from St. Francis High, and a lot of people don't know it. And this guy, next month, is going to be on an NFL roster playing quarterback for somebody. He just doesn't know who yet because he's uh, one of the more intriguing prospects heading into this year's NFL draft. We're going to talk to Jake Dolagala when we come back. And that and more on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Is the Tim Graham Show Sports Radio 1270? I don't want to just uh, do a slap and tickle here. Yeah, slap and tickle can get us in trouble these days. Yeah, I'd give you consent, Ernie. So it's uh, no issue for me. Taking your calls at 270 1270. Into it after the hour when we have more time to uh, spread our legs a little bit. This is Sports Radio 1270, the fan, the Tim Graham Show. I love sausage. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Hi, I'm Tim Graham. This is the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Here with my co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein, handling the video feed on Periscope. What's the the what? host of, uh, what is that, Around the Horn? Yeah. Has ashes on his head. Wouldn't he wait till after his job why. to do it? No, it's no. just kind of funny. Like, well, I, look, I guess I guess if you're trying to show that you're proud about that's, it, that's exactly what very it is. Nice, very that's nice. That's like, you know what? I know it's a, it's kind of, yeah. Well, good for him. I, that's what it is. I really like that. As somebody who was raised and lived a long life as a Catholic, I worn my ashes on my forehead to work. It's yeah. kind of a, it's a pride thing, especially with everything that's going on with the Catholic Church now. I'm sure that there yeah. are probably a lot of people are still proud Catholics, and right. that's their way to say. I'm still part of the team. I'm proud to be here. The team. Tony Rally. I was thinking about getting my ashes today, isn't it? I I had time, but I didn't feel like it. How about this? When's the last time you were ever at Mass? Last year. All right. Yeah. You probably need more than ashes. No, I probably need to be dumped in a river somewhere. (laughs) Incinerate you. Jonah, when's the last time you had ashes? (laughs) Yeah, when's never, last, I've never had that. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? Dude. <laughs> well, what's the uh, the time period for when you can wash that off? Or do you have to just let it You don't. You can take it right off. Right. But I, some some people would just... It's not something as though you have to... It has to wear itself off for symbolism purposes or part of the ritual. You can take it right off. Probably not good for but your the, skin health. But there are, obviously, proud Catholics out there who just want to advertise that it's the way of you know well as i've said i don't want to i'm being redundant but yeah it's just kind of like i don't care if you think uh, this is stupid or not this is who i am i did have an accident with a menorah once and got some ash <laughs> on my head but that's not the same thing right i once singed myself getting too close to a fire uh, trying to add some uh, gasoline to a fire to and keep your it legs? going no my, my my eyebrows oh 
Must have been a big flame get up near your face. Well, I was throwing gas on it. <laughs> you know, you do That'll things. <laughs> you do things when you're outside and you want to see that flame get bigger. Well, now you're banned. That's why you see so many of these videos. Darwin Awards uh, Twitter feed. America's Funniest Home Videos. Right. Dummies. People who deserve to die by doing stupid things <laughs> drunk. I used to have to ring the bells for the uh, on the oh, altar. Oh, you were an altar boy, Mike? Yeah. I was, too. I knew you were. I can't even tease you about it, because I was. Well, we could tease each other. I can do that. Self-deprecating. I was an altar boy for many years. Seven or eight, maybe? Yeah, I think. That seems too many. They recruited not, me in not, fifth grade. Oh, you were recruited? Were I was you recruited. Gro- were you groomed we had a, we also? Had a, no, I think we had the <laughs> Did biggest. Did the priest groom you? <laughs> we had the biggest recruiting class. My fifth year incoming altar boy class, I think, was bigger and better than any other class after that. According to whom? J.D. Power and Associates? <laughs> no, since ESPN's... Re- he was ranked. <laughs> AP ranking poll. our recruiting classes. The AP poll, top <laughs> yeah. 25. Then I was an altar boy through my senior year of high school. I was also a Eucharistic minister my last two years of high school. I wonder if there's an altar boy poll. That's like one of the things at the Vatican, right. deep down oh, in yeah. the secret... Yeah. Down in the... Maybe. the bo- we probably have the ones that can be in down, the Basilica. Down in the bowels of the Vatican is the <laughs> altar boys poll. Speaking are, of bowels... Are we still on the air? <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when Bobby wants to start making fun of the Catholics? <laughs> See what happens when Mike it. McDonald leaves the studio. Yeah, Mike, deteriorates. Mike is... Mike is gasping as he drives away he's yeah. listening he's like oh i want to maybe they'll say something about my appearance talk about the team a little bit more and uh he's already switched over he's like i'm gonna listen to something cleaner like howard stern <laughs> hmm. what's going on with the buffalo bills mike rodak you cover them yeah sometimes certainly not the combine um mike what do you think about jordan phillips taking less money to stay in buffalo yeah let's start there Look, I, I get Bills fans, and they there's always a um, a soft spot for the Zubaz wearing Bills fan when a, a player says that he loves Buffalo and wants to be here. But I think it got a little bit overboard this week with Jordan Phillips. Not even this week. I mean, ever since last year when he was jumping up and down and bringing the juice and, and doing all that, which, good. Like, you want a player who's energetic and he's into it. But I think people kind of got carried away. Like every single time I'd tweet in January or February any sort of list of Bills free agents, there would be immediately five or ten responses saying, oh, they, they got to bring Jordan Phillips back. Like, not saying he's a bad player, but he was ranked 108th out of 112 interior defensive linemen from pro football focus. And, and part of that might have been his performance with the Dolphins early in the year in September, but he still played three quarters of the season with the Bills and made a few plays here and there. Is disruptive in the backfield, but it's not as if he's going to be handed the starting job that once belonged to Kyle Williams. It's not as if Harrison Phillips will either. I think both of those guys will need to be better uh, than they were this past season in order to, you know, really become the full time guy at at that spot. And I still think it's a need. I, I, if there's a defensive tackle on the board. In the first round, if you stay at nine and maybe add Oliver's on the board or if you move further back in, in the round and there's somebody else, then I still don't think that's a bad pick. I don't think defensive end's a, a bad pick, and 
we've talked about this on the show before, but you know, there's a there's a deadline with their current defensive line group where you're in the last year of Jerry Hughes's deal. Um, Shaq Lawson's contract situation is what it is with the fifth year option. So defensive line in general is a need, but it wasn't as if Jordan Phillips is going to fix any of those problems. I think it's still very much a need, and I think he's um, still probably slotted into more of a, of a rotational role unless he he gets better. And I think that's you know that's the key part of this is that he played 26 percent of the snaps last year. Uh, it wasn't as if he was a key vital cog in his defense, but I think Bills fans really just got attached to him because of that idea that he likes Buffalo. And um, I don't know, it seems like a low bar for for a player to cross. Like, ooh, he actually likes Buffalo. Like, oh, that's that's neat. That's different. Maybe I, you should try that. I think there's a lot of players who like it here, and I don't think we should get overly excited about one player wanting to stay here for $4.5 million. We shouldn't dismiss it either. I used to think less of Kyle Williams early in Kyle Williams' career for wanting to resign on such a on a team that had no chance of winning, and I always thought less of him because of it. Now it turned out that he had different motives, and those are the motives that endeared him to Buffalo fans. And thank God, because the Bills need more people like Kyle Williams. The unfortunate thing is, is there aren't. A well, lot of need, those people lying around. Very good but, players like Kyle Williams who like being here. I'm yeah. not sure Jordan Phillips is quite in that category. It's smart. Well, for he's their... still a talent, and there's a value there. I mean, he's, he fills a need on a team. It's not like he's not an NFL player. Right. He's a third or fourth defensive tackle. And it's smart for a player's off-field marketability. I mean, I roll my eyes a little bit at some of these things, too. Like, But I, if I was the player in that position, I'd probably say the same things. Yeah, I, I think there's a part of it. I don't want to discredit him, but... Obviously, you want to have people like you if you're a player. I don't think you're going to be out there saying Buffalo sucks and I'm going to spend every minute I can somewhere else. Um, I mean, as much as he likes Buffalo, he has spent his offseason in Wichita, Kansas. So, uh, look, there's there's very few players that are here. The one player that has been this offseason and was last offseason was Lorenzo Alexander. And Star Lotulale is also here this offseason. Um, in both cases, that's more because of their kids, and they have kids in school here. Levi Wallace, I think, has spent a decent amount of time here. But in general, guys are going to be elsewhere when the weather is like this, and I can't blame them. And on the opposite end, I don't think we should you know, romanticize or um, whatever other put on a pedestal players that say that they actually like it here. Tim, have you seen I mean, that are we, in are other we, markets? I'm not saying you are. I'm saying some Bills fans are, from what okay. I've seen. Well, no, I don't. But that okay, because I haven't really followed. No. I haven't gotten that impression on social media. The one big thing that I got from Bills fans on social media was uh, the offensive lineman that they uh, recently signed, Spencer Long. Spencer Long, and people going crazy that oh my god, this guy sucks. We don't want him. As though Spencer Long was being signed to be the keystone of the Bills offensive line the next Eric Wood and then once fans realized what the contract situations they they backed down but I hadn't really gotten any kind of crowdsourced opinion on Jordan Phillips but I mean and but you, I think you're getting that impression well yesterday is the conference call and again like it's is what that he a guy who has a conference call to begin with I mean is he they had, does he does he that's part of, maybe that, maybe that's part of my, my take here is that I think there's just a little too much inflation with him. and I, It's not a, anything against him. I think it's more just like the perception um, that it's a big deal. And 
I still think he has a lot to prove, and I think that's a fair thing to say about a lot of players on a lot of rosters. So I'm not trying to single him out. I'm just saying, like, the last 24 hours, it's just been a no, Jordan I, I understand love that. fest. And to answer you, Jonah, I have only covered – in the National Football League, the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins. And there is not that, I guess it's a form of inferiority complex. Of, right. This guy wants us. Yes. I don't think that the Dolphins were that way, uh, or at least the, the Dolphins fans weren't that way. Even no. coming off that 1-15 in season, um, Jets fans. Do you see it in Cleveland? No, not really. Uh, it's... I mean, and that's just from my experience of growing up right. in Cleveland. I think there's an expectation that – there's still, even though the Browns have never been to a Super Bowl, there's still a swagger of we are still an, a historical team in this league and Jim Brown and Otto Graham and Paul Brown and Paul Warfield and, I mean, even going back and Brian Sipe and Bernie Kosar. And, of course, well, now wait, now maybe I'll stop there because when Bernie Kosar said that he wanted to play for the Browns, that was a big effing deal. And that's because he came from Youngstown, Ohio area, and they kind of manipulated the system so that way he would be available as a supplemental pick. And Bills the, drafted and, him, right. technically. And the Browns come away with that pick, and here's a guy who wanted to play for Cleveland. Now, that guy was also would have won the Heisman Trophy if not for Doug Flutie's miracle play uh, and was a superstar coming out of college. So uh, that's a little different. That's cover of Sports Illustrated of Bernie Kosar standing in Cleveland Stadium. Uh, that's a little bit different. Um, but I get what you're saying, Jonah. I think you I get a, a little bit of it in Green Bay, but they don't sign any of their own free agents, so the, this specific situation right. hardly ever happens. Well, I, I think it's not just the Bills, and it's not just football, and it's not just sports. I think people in Buffalo have that um, rule or moral that you got to like it here. Like You need people who want to be here. One of us. They want everybody well, well, wants yeah. you to be one of us right. and not act like you're from a bigger city right. and you're more important because of where you come from. But I think eventually Buffalo in general, not again, not just sports, has to graduate from that idea because whenever that's brought up, it implies that there's a reason or a belief or some sort of force that keeps people from wanting to be here and the fact that they want to be here is novel and interesting and different. Like at some point, you just gotta stop having that mentality because it, it implies there's a reason not to be here. Like you have to start from the 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 ground level of you should want to be here. Like it, it's it's a good city. Like there there should be that basic um, threshold. But it seems like the floor is still so low that if you cross that hurdle and you actually want to be here, then wow, like you're one of us. Like that, you know, you, you're gonna eat your your Salem's hot dogs and drink your Labatt Blue and eat your Paula's donuts and man, like you're you're Buffalo. Like ah, you get it. Like cool, but Mighty Taco, don't forget Mighty Taco. Right, but it's okay to be cosmopolitan. Like Buffalo, New York. You even see it, and uh, I don't want to give away what I've been doing the last couple months, but sitting and reading Facebook sometimes, and you read the comments on. Any sort of Buffalo News article where it talks about, uh, you know, quality of life in Buffalo or anything along those lines, like development in Buffalo. And there's always comments from people who move to Florida or Charlotte or somewhere else, which a lot of people in Buffalo have. And then there's people attacking those people. Well, why did you move away? Why did you go to Charlotte? You know, why did you go to Florida? Like, you didn't like it here? Like, it's fine to move away. It's okay. 
It's fine to live somewhere else. It's fine to be from somewhere else. Like the idea that you have to like, oh, man, I grew up in Hamburg and you know I've been around this city my entire life. Like I know it. Like great, that's cool. But let's be a little more cosmopolitan, a little less xenophobic. That's just my rant for the day. You know who's trying to be cosmopolitan? Jake Dolagala. The guy left St. Francis, ends up at Milford Academy, tries to uh, get a job, tries to get a scholarship, and then on his way to the NFL. Well, he's going to go from Central Connecticut to the NFL in a few weeks, and we're going to have him on the line to talk about his journey from St. Francis, where a lot of people don't even remember he played, to the brink of the National Football League when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Radio 1270, 1270. The Fan. And on the Fans app, free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein LLC, and uh, Bobby Rosati, hand on the board, producing the show. It's been a little bit of a blur. We went from college basketball, Division II college basketball, and deservedly so. People may be saying, what are you doing talking about that? I mean, these guys are going to the national tournament. 31-0, I don't think there's ever been. Well, I was talking sure about Damon. Oh, okay. Damon, and then NCCC, 31-0. Well, yeah, right. It's the best season Damon's had at this level and could end up being the best season they've had at any level. And NCCC 31-0, I don't think there's been another local basketball team to ever do that. A glorious Mike Rodak rant in the last segment. An all-timer. That went off the rails pretty quickly. That's all right. Yeah. Crooked Rodak. Rodak. Right now, well, here's a guy who a few weeks ago, I catch wind of him. I mean, I, I'd known he was out there as a local and I'm having a conversation with his uncle. And his uncle tells me, you know, my nephew, he's a quarterback at, uh, in college. He's going to be in the NFL. And it's one of these deals where I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a poker face going, but, you know, I get this all the time. Well, regularly. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. He's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, has a rocket launcher for an arm. I'm thinking, okay. Where does he play? Central Connecticut State. I'm like, oh, my Lord. So I'm like, well, I'm going to humor this guy. I'm going to go home and look him up. Sure enough, I'm thinking to myself, how has this guy been missed? He's from St. Francis. And how come he hasn't appeared in the Buffalo News? Why, has, why haven't I seen tweets about him? Why isn't he on 2, 4, and 7? And then I start asking some questions. I go to the Combine last week, and I say, I'm going to see what NFL scouts, what GMs, personnel directors have to say about this guy. Unanimous. Unanimous, they say. He's on our board. He's maybe a late-round pick. At the very least, he's a priority free agent, meaning he's going to be one of the first calls that are made. These are the guys that have to field like a bunch of calls as soon as the draft is over. Maybe even while the draft's still going on, they start sorting through them. But if he does well at his pro day, 
he can really uh, influence a lot of minds, and it only takes one team to really fall in love with you. And wouldn't you know it, Jake Dolagala, St. Francis high alum, although he played really only three games at quarterback at St. Francis, less than three because he got hurt, goes off to Milford Academy uh, to, to, to not to fix his grades like a lot of kids do, but to get some game tape. Gets one scholarship offer, and it's a partial from Central Connecticut. So he goes there and he dominates. But he does it in obscurity because we didn't see him get to flourish as a high school star at St. Francis. And now here he is, a month and a half away from getting signed or drafted by an NFL team. I think this is a great story. Jake Dolagola is joining us here uh, on the Tim Graham Show. Jake, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. And uh, and sorry for the long wind-up there, but it is a story that people good. need to kind of know the background of it because – I think that you did slip through the cracks in your own hometown, unfortunately. And uh, we talked about that just yesterday, and I think you admit it, and it's it's unfortunate. But uh, how would you describe this journey? And here you are, uh, one week from today, you will have your pro day uh, at the Bills facility along with uh, the University at Buffalo players. You're going to be there with Tyree Jackson, and you're going to be uh, have an audience of – 32 teams, and probably some teams will have more than one guy there. So let's say 50 NFL scouts, general managers, maybe even offensive coordinators, maybe even head coaches are going to be in attendance. I guess how would you describe this journey from St. Francis obscurity to this? Um, well, I would just first by, you know, go by saying I'm uh, very lucky to be where I am right now. Um, you know, I'm very lucky for every opportunity I've had, um, and I think I've made the most of each opportunity that was given to me. Um, but you know, in each of those opportunities, I think I made the most of them and put myself in the position I am today, um, to be able to, you know, show all these, you know, scouts and, and coaches that, you know, I'm, I'm capable of playing at that level. Now you weren't invited to the combine. Uh, what were your, what was your reaction to learning that you would not be going to the combine? Uh, and then I guess, uh, as things have have unfolded since learning that, how have how have you managed that development? You know, at first I was you know a bit disappointed, um, you know, because I, I really thought, you know, I, I was you know at you know at the same level as those guys, you know, I was the same caliber of player, you know, maybe I didn't have the uh, same type of you know um, game film, and um, you know I didn't play at you know the big Division One A level um, that all these kids have played at. So I think that, you know, that's still a knock on me to this day. But, um, you know, even not going to the combine, I think I still am in a very good position. Um, and, you know, going going out there next Wednesday, I'm like I said, I'm going to make the most of it and, you know, prove that, that I do belong. 17 quarterbacks were invited to the combine last week in Indianapolis, and uh, it should be noted. And I think Central Connecticut State mm-hmm. playing for them uh, is – uh, impacted uh, that decision probably. Central Connecticut State uh, has produced one player who has played NFL regular season game, and I think it's just a couple of games, that player. Uh, yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but it was in the 80s, I think. And the Northeast mm-hmm. Conference, which is one AA, uh, the old one AA, uh, has never produced an NFL quarterback. But Jake Dolagala, and I guess I'm burying the lead here, as they say in journalism, has some <laughs> <laughs> NFL measurements 
that are impressive. He's you went to the uh, the scouting showcase in Fort Worth, and yeah, what was it? Gridiron showcase, yeah, yeah, College Gridiron Showcase, and you measured at six six and a half. Was it three, six six and three quarters? Six six and three quarters. So six seven. Yeah. Everybody marvels at Tyree Jackson size. Tyree Jackson at UB six seven. Mm-hmm. Tyree Jackson has the largest hand at the combine at ten and one quarter inch. Jake Dolagalas mm-hmm. measures eleven inches, and this is no joke, by the way. It is the, those are the two things that strike you. I showed up yesterday at Salem Sports Park uh, to talk to Jake, and he is laying on the floor doing some training exercises, and he unfolds himself off of the ground, and he's a, he's a, he's a <laughs> colossus. And then we shake hands, and it. And I'm a not a small guy, and his hand just. And he, I think he was. He shook my wrist. In fact, I think it was like all the way up to the wrist. This guy has 11 inch hand. Had he been to the combine, had he been to the combine, that would have been the second largest hand in NFL history. Jim Druckenmiller is 11 and a quarter um, back in the 90s. But beyond that, he has the arm. So what? You're now going to be competing. So you have these kind of natural comparisons to Tyree Jackson because of your size, the hand size, the arm, and admittedly, maybe not the you know, the elusiveness. Uh, you're probably not going to run a four six. Uh, uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but what um, you're going to be competing right alongside him. What do you think you can accomplish by not only performing in front of these scouts, but doing it next to a guy who kind of became a darling uh, out of out of the combine that you weren't invited to. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tyree had a great, you know, he did he had a great combine, um, you know, in all in all assets. I thought he threw the ball well, and obviously he was, you know, he did, he did really well running. Um, but you know, I think, you know, being able to not compare myself because I want to compare myself to him. I just want to prove to, I want I want these you know these scouts and these coaches to do the comparison. You know, I just want to go out there, do the best I can do, um, and just leave it up to them at that point. And I and I think if I do that, you know, that that should be enough to. To turn some heads, and you've been working out with your crew at Salins. Just to let the listeners know who you've been working out with, Jake. Uh, it's uh, uh, John uh, Shabetta, the former offensive coordinator yep. at St. Francis, and uh, Jim Kubiak, the the local passing instructor, who a lot of people know. Um, also, your receivers out there, uh, guys, professionals, guys uh, who yes. you know we're talking uh, CFL All Stars, Naaman Roosevelt and Luke Tasker. What will it be like at the UB Pro Day? Because you're going to be throwing to receivers you're not familiar with. And the scouts obviously know that. But is that something that is, um, is on your mind as a variable that really is going to be somewhat not in your control? Um, yeah, like you said, it's not going to be in my control. But, um, you know, I'm just going to be very patient and, you know, just work on my footwork, make sure, you know, that's all set. And then, you know, I should be able to, you know, with, with my skill, you know, be able to anticipate where those guys are going to break out. And, um, you know, I'm just going to try and put it through their forehead every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you make sure you bring backups, right? <laughs> you know, let, or at least when, wait until a little later in the, in the drills. Yeah, sure. So you, you obviously you'll have a lot of NFL attention on you at the pro day. How much did you have, if at all, at Central Connecticut? Because I would assume, like, a lot of NFL teams will have, like, a northeastern regional scout and yeah. they're probably going to go to Syracuse and BC and maybe UConn. I can't imagine too many are, are getting down uh, to central Connecticut, but did you know of any scouts? Have you had any contact you at this um, point? Yeah. So, I mean, just about every practice this, this past fall, mm-hmm. there was at least one scout and I'm pretty sure every, pretty sure every team from, you know, the league was at, 
practice at least once. Um, and if they weren't at practice, they were there to watch one of the games. So, um, you know, I, I, honestly, the the scouts do a really good job of, you know, finding guys no matter where they are. Um, and, you know, I'm just one of those guys from a smaller school that they found. So It's funny. Every time I think of Central Connecticut, I think of Scott Pioli, uh, who was yep. with the Patriots yep. and then he was the GM of the Chiefs. Now he's with the Falcons. Yep. Um, but Falcons. he went to Central Connecticut, so I don't know if you've had any yes, sort of contact with him. Yeah, I met with him uh, several times. Mm-hmm. Um this past fall, um, you know, good conversations. You know, he said he's going to keep an eye on me. So, um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the Falcons obviously they're older at quarterback, so they could probably use a younger guy in there. So, definitely a team yeah. to uh, yeah. keep on your um, radar. Heck yeah! I mean, backing Great. up Matt Ryan wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a bad gig. Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. We're in conversation with Central Connecticut State quarterback Jake Dolagala of St. Francis High. And what's it like when you come back home, Jake? Um, because your family and friends, and, the, and, the, and obviously the St. Francis community is following you, but uh, do you find that people are surprised that you're at this phase of your life? Uh, it's, it's such a football-mad area, as you know, with your grandfather, Al B. Yeah. Miller, having played for the Bills for nine seasons, and your father playing at UB and Buff State. Um, you're around it, but there's still this element of people who are still learning about you. What's that like? Um, it's cool. You know, I mean, the people who, who are close to me and, and are around me a lot, um, they always knew that this was going to be, you know, this would come into fruition. But, um, you know, like you said, the, the people outside who, who don't really know me, um, you know, I would, I would advise them to take a, take a look uh, at the article you just, you know, put out there. Cause um, you know, I really, this is, it's kind of, you know, been born in me, um, and I'm doing everything I can to get, to get to that point I want to. Yeah, thanks for the plug, Jake, and uh, I guess I'll mention it. Yeah, sure, uh, at, at, the, <laughs> at The Athletic, uh, there's a story on Jake that uh, published this morning in which I spoke to uh, Jake and all the people around him, uh, the coaches, and added uh, what I learned about uh, his, his prospects uh, while I was at the Combine last week. Uh, Jake, being that you are projected as a late round pick slash priority free agent but anything can happen uh how are you trying how are you managing expectations for the draft um well you know my expectations are that i truly believe that i i'm going to get drafted um and if things fall where they may um say i don't get drafted you know my world's not going to end there because i think i'm going to get an opportunity and, you know, once I get that, I just got to make the most of it. But um, right now, I'm, you know, I'm just taking things in stride and um, I'm just really excited. Uh, you know, that's, that's about the only emotion that's going through me. I'm just excited to get this whole thing rolling. I mean, it already started, but um, it's really starting to rev up now. Now, with the pro day, there are going to be a lot of cameras there, too. So everything that you do could be on film, may end up on the NFL Network or wherever, or at least online. What do you, and here's a little hint as to what you may see from commentary from Jim Kubiak or from other people who are familiar, uh, particularly Naaman Roosevelt has some very uh, high praise for you. He's a guy who's caught passes from NFL quarterbacks. But um, what are your, what do you expect to do at the pro day in terms of uh, expo- your exposure? Well, I mean, uh, as, as far as, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go there, you know, just to throw out, like, I'm not going to run, um, you know, any of the 40s or, you know, pro agilities, anything like that. But, um, you know, I just want to prove that I have a, you know, NFL talent arm. Um, you know, I want to prove that to everybody. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, try and carry myself, um, you know, as a leader and 
I'm going to do as best I can, you know, not knowing, not knowing the guys I'm going to be throwing to, you know, you know, you still got to have that, you know, kind of bravado about you. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to go out there, you know, you know, try and try and steal the stage. Steal the stage. Okay, so you finally at the end there said something because prior to that you were uh, being uh, a hell of a lot more diplomatic in that answer than you were the last time we spoke. Uh, in, t- <laughs> in terms of making a statement, you're very confident. It, you know, um, I guess uh, Jim Kubiak says top five arm in the in the in this year's draft class. Um, uh, your agents uh, are saying that you will you would out you will outthrow Tyree Jackson. Um, I know that that's a lot of maybe pressure, but that seems like pressure that you enjoy having on you. Yeah, I love the lights. Like like I said um, yesterday, you know, I love having the lights on me. I love being able to, you know, feel that pressure and know you have to make those throws. Um, and I'm, I'm ready for it. What needs to be done between now and uh, and pro day? How do you uh, how do you get ready for your for your big stage? I mean, we're just going to refine things. With me and Coops, are going to refine things. Um, we're not going to do anything drastically differently. Um, you know, we're just going to keep to what we've been doing. Um, I think it's working as you know thus far. So um, we're not going to change anything. You know, we're just going to you know get more mentally prepared and um, really visualize myself going out there and um, performing well. Is there anything else you won't do? You, you mentioned you won't do the forty-yard dash, or you? No. So yeah, I'm just going to do like for the UB pro day. I'm just going there to throw, and then um, my Central Connecticut State uh, pro day will be the twenty-second, um, and I'll go back up to school for that. Okay. And will you do anything there? Um, anything oh, yeah. that you would do? Yeah, I'm going to be running and jumping. and Yeah, I'll be doing everything there. Okay. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, since we're here in Buffalo, I know you follow the Bills. Um, I, are there comparisons, or do you find yourself having, uh, are there comparisons between you and Josh Allen? Uh, and I think in terms of size, in terms of arm, uh, do you see uh, any of yourself in him? Um, of course. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there as far as, you know, uh, height, you know, his ability. Um, you and know, I think your background, too, the, fa- the fact that he only had one scholarship offer and he had to yeah, go to a know, junior college and yep. he had to deal with a big crazy, but... injury to his uh, to his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's just something, someone I could, like, look up to and, you know, basically say, you know, he did it, so why not me? Um, and, you know, that's kind of always been my motto. Um, you know, why not me? Why can't I do it? Why can't I be a, you know, a small town kid from Buffalo, you know, getting one scholarship? Um, why, why can't I be in the NFL? So, Well, Jake, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for uh, your time and uh, for sharing your story with me. And again, if anybody wants to check it out, it's at The Athletic. I'll also tweet it out uh, after the show today if you want to uh, see a story about how Jake Dolagala goes from playing two full games as a quarterback at St. Francis High, uh, falling off the radar, at least uh, the Western New York radar. Uh, well, I should say maybe not in the South Towns, but I think by and large Western New York is like, we didn't know about this guy. Well, here he is, and he's about to be in the NFL. Jake Dolagala, Central Connecticut State. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, guys. All right, one more segment here on the Tim Graham Show. When we come back, we'll have more Bills talk. Maybe we'll uh, – chat uh, a little bit more to Mike Rodak get him off the ledge see what uh, see what else is uh, Big Buffalo guy <laughs> when we come back on the Tim Graham show sports radio 1270 the fan 
Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Cow in the meadow Farmer hits him on the head and grinds him up, and that's how we get hamburgers. Broadcasting live. Tim Graham Show. Give some free whiteout, though. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Brandon is not available. Tim Graham show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. So far we've heard from Jake Dolagala, who will be playing uh, quarterback for an NFL team this offseason. Chance to make a roster at 6'7 in that uh, 11-inch hand. People talk about hand size and quarterbacks. Yeah, people, there are a lot out there who think that that's too big. There's no actually such a thing. There's a you know, there's a sweet spot. There's a measure. It's, there's a sweet spot for any measurement. Yeah, sure. In fact, you talk about uh, like an offensive lineman. You'd say, "Oh, the bigger the better." Well, there is a size at one point where they're just not big enough, or they even too tall. They're too big. They're yeah. too. Nah. Their hands are too big. I've they're, never heard too big, but people were saying that. I can't remember me. who it was, but on the combine broadcast, somebody was saying Tyree Jackson that was too tall and the way they Slow have to. release. Yeah, the way they have to oh, wind up. Because it's long. Yeah. So oh. there's only been five quarterbacks in NFL history who are six, seven, or taller. And none of them have been all that good. good. Really? I mean, the six, eight quarterback has only been one. It was Dan McGuire. Oh. He was a bust with the Seahawks, Never Mark McGuire's brother. And then there's two currently in the league, six, seven, Paxton Lynch and Brock Osweiler. <laughs> that butters your bread. And then there was two that played back in the – the 60s and 70s who nope. barely played. So The one thing that was brought up to me by a lot of scouts, though, um, which you know, lends itself to what you're just saying, slow release, because the mm-hmm. bigger you are, the longer it takes for you to uncork your body. You know, mm-hmm. uh, But that Dolagala has a quick release. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, going, that's in his favor. Now, he's more of a pro-style pocket passer, uh, according to his college coach. Uh, they would run option plays with him and he did have some games in which he had uh, there was one game he had 75 yards rushing and three touchdowns wow. um but not the type of guy that uh that is going to be he doesn't want to scrambling around right. and yeah we're not talking about uh josh allen or huh. russell right. wilson here right but here's here's just funny talking about um hand sizes the 11 inch hands for him so i went back and i was looking to see what if he were to have been invited to the combine where he would rake uh, Rain and uh, uh, Tyree Jackson had the biggest hand this year, ten and a quarter. Josh Allen had the biggest hand in 2018 at ten and one eighth. Now, hand size Sefo uh, Leofo, who was already retired, he was 2017's largest hand at ten and three quarters. Cody Kessler, Dak Prescott, ten and seven eighths. Brett Hunley. Is Brett Hundley still in the league? He's Green Bay. He's cut by the Packers. Right. Uh, oh, I thought he was Seattle. No, I'm, thinking now. I'm going backwards in terms of the biggest hands for quarterbacks at the Combine. This is now 2015. Jerry Lovelock. 2014, it was Logan Thomas. Seattle. Yeah. 2013, yeah, EJ Manuel. 
So big hands. Buffalo is connected to all the big hand quarterbacks. That's always it's uh, bad weather. Big hands. I just looked up it, a couple people known for having big hands in a different sport. Michael Jordan, eleven point three seven five inches. Giannis Anadokounmpo, a full 12 inches. No. Wow. I wonder He's what Andre the Giant is. Everybody remembers, or a lot of people remember that Here's photo from Sports Illustrated, in which whatever's out there is going to be exaggerated. True. Are you looking it up? See, I have, I have small hands. I measured them the other day, just during the combine. I was just kind of wondering. Just you know like what Trump. that means. I think it was. You're fine. I don't even think they got over nine. I think they were less than nine. I have what do you small mean? They, they got over nine. Did you try rubbing them to see if they'd get bigger? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's look. Let's look at our hand size. See, my hands are smaller than yours. Not by a lot. They're slight. Not by a lot. For being 6'4", I have small hands. Oh, I get what you I get you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's true. That is something that they did, and then they, they translate the size, your hand size, with your height. Uh, so, for instance, if you have a 11-inch hand, but you're 6'4", uh, you know, but whatever. I don't know if this is true. Way I think too much on hand size. Probably I exaggerated, but... This article says 16 inches for Andre the Giant's hands. Well, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, 16? That... Well, there's the picture from Sports Illustrated in which he's holding a can of beer and his hand is all ar- all the way around it, like in terms of the height of the beer can, too. It's like it's just totally engulfed, top, bottom, around the side. Yeah, I looked up Big Show. He's 15 to 16. You too. know what I want to know is um, <laughs> what's his name? David Baker, the Hall of Fame. Oh, the Hall of Fame. Pro football Nobody Hall of Fame knows guy. who that is. Nobody knows who it is, but that, that man is probably the biggest man I've ever seen in person. He's got to be 6'8", 6'9". Also nine. former commissioner of the Arena Football League. He is. I, I think he was giant. on the cover of Sports Illustrated back when the Arena League was mm-hmm. act, actually starting to become a thing. What are we vaping today, Bobby? <laughs> Mixed uh, some fresh, uh, I forgot what it's called, uh, prickly berry with... Um, some uh, candy what about some of these flavors that uh, they're trying to outlaw because it's appeals only to children oh and i didn't see candy, that. a lot of these candy flavors oh, they say. i'm gonna have to stock up from the budget place then mm-hmm. you buy a bunch of those juice the budget bottles. places are like a yeah the budget vapors i told you get out of line no place, yeah uh, there's top of the line and then there's a budget line yeah there's <laughs> you better stockpile do they sell like kiwi fruit and pomegranate at the top of the line one it, it, yeah no no, that one's like um, the you know those Gear mushrooms, deli. those uh, oily things that they sell. The uh, wagyu beef. Yeah, that type of stuff. high end meat and mushrooms. Creamy mushrooms. Yeah, high end meat. You know. <laughs> All right. Do we have Syracuse basketball tonight? No, nothing tonight. No, they're off. All right. Well, anything? Any- well, the Bills have a couple free agent visits today. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Give us those, Mike. Dwayne Allen, as reported by uh, Drazina Anderson. The tight end that the New England Patriots just cut. Right, and he's, in terms of the passing game, was not very productive for the no. Patriots the last two years. 13 catches for 113 yards, I believe it was. Uh, did some more things with the Colts, and then the Colts ended up trading him to the Patriots, and then the Patriots took on that contract. They they reduced it the second year. They weren't going to reduce it the third year, or they were trying to, and I don't think Allen was going to go along with it. Uh Needless to say, I don't think he's going to get a big deal. Whoever he signs, he's probably going to be more of a blocker. I mean, the Bills need, A, they need a veteran. Uh, Sean McDermott's rule is always that he wants a veteran in each position room, so that would check that box and would be more of a blocking tight end compared to what you have in Jason Kroom and compared to what you might get in the draft if you draft more of an athletic type. And then the other workout uh, that I 
confirmed today, it was originally reported by Jason Lockie and Forrest, Kevin Johnson, who was cut by the Texans yesterday, the former first-round pick, uh, the cornerback from Wake Forest, who missed all but one game last year with the concussion or concussions, I should say. Um, a guy who can probably play inside and outside. Uh, was outside with the Texans. And, look, I mean, the Bills, same sort of situation. They don't really have a veteran in that room. They did briefly last year with Monte Davis uh, and Phillip Gaines, too, for most of the year. But right now their most experienced cornerback in terms of snaps played is Tredavious White. It's not even close. He has four times as many snaps played as anybody else in the roster. And then you're looking at two second-year guys and Taron Johnson, who I think everybody will agree will hold down the slot, and then Levi Wallace. So it's really a matter of if you're the Bills, how much faith you want to put in Levi Wallace. He was promising last year, showed a lot of good things towards the end of the year, but I don't think you want to put all your eggs in his his basket and and say we're not going to have any sort of backup plan. So I think cornerback, a veteran cornerback, is still a free agent need. It's not to say that Kevin Johnson is – a gray beard by any means. He's only been in the league for four years, but he's still more experienced than anybody else they would have. Uh, you know, you take somewhat of a gamble on his availability. That was one of his big issues in Houston. But I think you need somebody else in that group. Um, not a big deal by any means. I want to imagine that would be big money, but I think he would be a guy to, to look out for. Um, Ian Rapport reported very recently, within the last hour or so, that he's going to be visiting the, the Browns tomorrow. Uh, so it seems like. You know, the Bills deal didn't come together right away. Uh, and then as far as Dwayne Allen, I'm not sure where he stands with the Bills, but I imagine he's probably going to take a few more visits. So these are the guys who were cut by their previous teams. That's why the Bills can talk to them right now. They could sign them right now if they wanted to. The guys whose contracts are expiring can't talk to them until Monday uh, at noon. And then the free agent period officially opens as we open our show next week, 4 o'clock. Yeah, that'll be um, have it on the TV. Are you going to be able to do it? As long as there's nothing going on at One Bills Drive, which there wasn't last year. They didn't right. have any sort of press conferences right away. I think that took a, a day or two. Yeah, well, you're right here anyway, so yeah. you leave if you got to. But there is UB's Pro show. Day that morning, so That'll be fun. Well, lots going on at One Bills Pro Drive. Day to talk about, free agency, good times. We'll get after it next week when the Tim Graham Show comes back Busy to day. you live. 4 to 6 p.m. It's also the start of the uh, MAC tournament, both of them. My thanks week. to Mike McDonald, Damon Wildcats men's basketball coach, who's heading into his conference tournament, but doesn't need it. They're pretty. Uh, they're in good shape. They're going to go to the Division II NCAA tournament. My thanks to Nate Butel of the 31-0 NCCC women's basketball team as they get ready to head into their national tournament. To Jake Dolagala. St. Francis High alum and Central Connecticut State quarterback who will be uh, signing with or getting drafted by an NFL team here in a few weeks. For my co-host, Mike Rodak, for Jonah Bronstein, and for Bobby Rosati, thank you for listening to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.